you doing? Anderson, what a week in our collective history. It has been a privilege to watch you carrying the load. I wish you the best for the weekend. Get some rest and stay safe. We need you. All right, you too, Chris. Have a good weekend, brother. You too. Uh, I am Chris Cuomo. Welcome to primetime. Tonight, the president said he wants to heal the country. One minute, the next minute, he's calling for people to liberate their states. You tell me how that's an innocent request. And the minute after that, he's cheering on protesters, many of whom are wearing and waving Trump stuff while defying social distancing guidelines. And again, after saying he wants to heal us and not to fight, he lashes out at the governors who are following his own directives and saying they're doing the wrong thing. And we now know, remember this, the president is fully aware of the need for testing before he reopened. And he is fully aware the federal government isn't ready and the states aren't ready. So ask yourself, why does he keep pushing to reopen soon when he knows it can't be done safely? My answer, because he's not a healer. He's not a helper. You've got to be honest with yourself about this. He is the person who pushes his own advantage. It's good to want to reopen. To hell with the fact of whether or not you can do it safely. That's the situation he's pushing. But that's okay. We know on whom we can count. One another. Together as ever. We get together, we can get this done. So let's get after it. I'm not going to pretend that things are open questions when they're not. You know why the president is pushing protests and saying to liberate states right after he said he wants to heal, because he doesn't want to heal. He wants to sell the message that he wants to reopen because he thinks that sounds good to the base. Good. That's good. He wants to get us open. So this isn't his problem. He's not why we're suffering. And it's not true. And it's not fair. Minnesota, Michigan, Virginia, They've all been following the national guidelines to keep Americans safe. National means they come from the president. And by what? Well, guess, guess what? Good for the president. Good for the guidelines. They're flattening the curve. Yet the president, again, the man behind the guidelines, is now amplifying the cries of protesters out in tight groups without masks, you know, flouting the social distancing, saying it's a hoax, using the word hoax, saying coronavirus is just like the cold. Complete BS. And the president is using insurrection language, telling these protesters, liberate your state. Does that sound like healing? Again, this is who he is. This is what Trump is about. You do not need to ask the question. You know the answer. CNN's Caitlin Collins has the latest on what's been coming out of the White House. After telling states yesterday to call the shots on when to reopen, President Trump is now openly encouraging conservative protests in three blue states with stay-at-home orders. I think some things are too tough. Earlier today, he tweeted, liberate Minnesota, liberate Michigan, liberate Virginia. It is under siege. After governors in those states voiced concerns he was inciting further protest, Trump defended his all-caps message. Well, I think we do have a sobering guidance, but I think some things are too tough. 
But the president is only encouraging protests in states led by Democrats. All three he mentioned are considered battlegrounds for the presidential election. And he made no mention of Ohio, where there were also protests, but the state is led by a Republican. Those protests are also defying his own federal guidelines, which urges Americans to avoid gathering in groups larger than 10. Asked if he's concerned about protesters possibly spreading the coronavirus, Trump said he wasn't. These are people expressing their views. I, I see where they are and I see the way they're working. They seem to be very responsible people to me. Trump began the week by incorrectly claiming that he had total authority as president, but he ended it by passing the responsibility for conducting nationwide testing to governors. Advisors inside and outside the White House say it's a clear tactic to protect himself from any political fallout that comes with reopening the nation. Hmm. Let's bring in Caitlin. Uh, Caitlin, thank you very much for reporting, especially at the late hour. What are you hearing uh, from those in and around the White House about what the play is here for the president? Well, we heard some advisors say that this is obviously a way for the president to try to shield himself if there is fallout from reopening these states, as we've seen him continue to push to do. But also one concern we heard from some officials is, of course, they don't think the president can actually mandate these states to open, even though he said there are some he believes could start doing that today. But, Chris, we're really not seeing that. You didn't see any Republican governors even in these states start to completely relax their guidelines or really move forward in that way. So what one thing that we've been told that the president's advice are watching is if he keeps pushing for these states, these blue states, these three he named today, to open, but those governors stand their ground and do not loosen these guidelines right now because they don't feel it's the right thing today, the, the right thing to do. They're worried about what that clash could look like between the president and these governors. It's going to look just like this. We know exactly what the clash is going to look like. The question will be uh, who will find some progress in this? Who will find a way to keep us safe? It's always been about testing. It's always been about planning. It still is. We just don't have the answers. Caitlin Collins, thank you so much for giving us insight and teeing up the questions. Have a great weekend. All right, let's bring in journalist Carl Bernstein. Uh, Carl, my big brother, it's good to see you as always. It's been a while. Uh, Let's talk about uh, your understanding of the president's awareness, okay? The direct question is, is the president aware that testing is everything when it comes to reopening and that the states can't handle it and the feds can't make it happen? Is he aware? He is aware, and I was told on April the 6th that he knew that we were not up to testing and that reopening, he wanted to reopen on May 1st. He had a group of people under Jared Kushner his son-in-law, who were trying to work on the problem of how to get open, and Kushner and those around him advised the president that testing had to be in place to do this responsibly. In fact, here's a quote from someone who's an aide to the president uh, from April uh, 2nd. If we can get the right testing, it's conceivable we can open May 1st, that we can begin the process. If we can get the right testing, Mr. President. That is what he was told. That is what he knew. And what he has done since is reckless and irresponsible and negligent. So reckless, the legal definition is that you perceive a risk and then do that risky thing anyway. And it seems to meet the exact definition of the president saying to protesters in states that are following his guidelines, by the way, they are federal directives. Yeah, you should be angry. You should liberate your states. What's the play for him in that? 
Well, the play for that is, is to his base as well as to cover up his own malfeasance and misfeasance throughout this uh, terrible episode in our history from January to March while he fiddled and Rome literally burned. But let's look at what he did and said today. The President of the United States, at the moment of this nation's utmost vulnerability since World War II, preached and incited to the people of this country insurrection. It's madness and it's a, a degree of recklessness that's really inconceivable. And one of the things you're seeing from the governors, particularly they're led by Larry Hogan, a Republican of Maryland, uh, your, your brother, the governor of, uh, of New York, a Democrat, but they are almost united to the person in knowing how reckless this president has been through this ordeal. And now we find ourselves in a situation where, like looking at nurses in garbage bags in our operating theaters, in our hospitals, in our ICU units, we don't have the most basic testing apparatus that uh, Singapore, that South Korea was able to save its citizens because it proceeded methodically. And we have a president who says, I'm not a supply clerk. Can you imagine FDR in World War II saying, I'm not a supply clerk? This is there's mm. something obscene about this. Well, listen, uh, we all we know are the facts, okay? They have supply That's chain right. issues. They can't get the swabs. They can't get the reagent. Uh, they put out this list of labs before, private labs. W what good is that? Those are the labs that put out machines that can process tests. Yeah, okay, where? Who's going to do the processing? Who's going to do the contact tracing? What are you going to use in the test packets to process? They know all the issues. I know for a fact, and you can imagine how, uh, that the governors have been going to the federal government and saying, yes. this is what we need, Republican and Democrat. And they're That's being right. turned away. So then you get into the fight with the governors. OK, um, we have the tweet. I think it's the president punching my brother in the nose. Can we put up the tweet and we'll read it for context? Um, so uh, put the tweet up. Governor Cuomo should spend more time doing and less time complaining. For you who watched me the other night, this was exactly the hypothetical that I put up to my brother about what the president would say. Not tooting my own horn. I'm just saying I guessed right. Get out there and get the job done. Stop talking. We built you thousands of hospital beds that you didn't need or use, uh, gave large numbers of ventilators that you should have had and helped you with, testing that you should be doing. Uh, we have given New York far more money, help and equipment than any other state by far. And these great men and women who do the job, you never say thanks. Your numbers are not good. Uh, less talk, more action. Now, look, Carl and I could pick this apart and prove to you that whether he's my brother or not, literally everything in there is inaccurate. It's not the point. He's doing it to my brother and others. And the play is pretty clear, clear, uh, Carl. And I think my brother and the governors lose because it's I want to reopen. I'm Trump. I want to reopen. I believe in America being open. These guys want to keep it closed. I think they're in a tough spot, the governors. Well, the people who are losing are the ones who are losing their lives. And that's what we've got to keep in mind. And that is the price of some of this president's negligence and recklessness. He had the Defense Production Act that he could have used early on to make sure that we had swabs, to make sure that our nurses weren't wearing, wearing garbage bags. He used none of these instruments. And in fact, he did not act on any of this until finally the scientists, Fauci, 
Burke sat him down and said, Mr. President, if you, this is at the end of March, if you don't act, we are going to lose hundreds of thousands of our people. And finally then, and, and his son and son-in-law had to convince him, according to people in the White House, I've talked to him, that he had to stop being delusional and in denial. We have had a president from the beginning of this episode, this horror in our history, who has been derelict and not being up to the job that we need. And yesterday, for a few minutes, it appeared that he grasped what was going on. It really appeared perhaps we are going to move forward in a responsible way. And what do we get today? Insurrection. He wants to promote insurrection. Talk about the Second Amendment when our people are going through this horror. And then talk to your brother, the governor, about numbers electoral numbers. Mm. Who the hell cares about electoral numbers at this moment? At least you Trump. shouldn't be talking about them. Trump does. And I hope people them. heard uh, what you said uh, tonight, and I hope they process it, Carl, and we'll put it out online for people. You have a situation right now where the president knows if he plays politics in a certain way, it may work to his advantage, hence the protests, hence pushing on governors like my brother and other ones, Republicans and Democrat. Party uh, spares nobody from this president right now. But as Carl said, ultimately, the measure of the moment is going to be who lives and who dies. And that's not about red or blue. Uh, that is about me, you and the people we love. That's what's going to matter most. How will the president do on that metric? That story remains to be told. Carl Bernstein, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Be Stay well. safe. And, and look, I want Carl on because he's a legend and he can diagnose it for us. But let's be fair. The media is playing a role in this, too. Fight, 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 fight. They like Trump fighting with the governors. They like the fomenting. They like the provocation. We have to push these guys to find answers. We have to keep pushing the reality that people are dying. Don't push protests. Help those people who are dying. Where's his answer on that? That's the media's job. So the vice president, he has a piece in this also. He says, we have enough tests to start reopening the country. Prove it. Several state labs, again, Republican and Democrat, say, no, we don't. Where's their help? They haven't offered it to us. Why can't he convince them? Democrats and Republicans, remember, testing is not a hypothetical. I and thousands of people just like me are proof of our dilemma. I'm going to tell you the latest turn in my case. That should be good news. It is for me, but it's not good news for you. Next. All right, we've had a change in the state of play. President Trump has decided, forget this healing talk. It's not me. It's better to play the heel. And now he's once again on attack. His target this time, the governors. Why? Because the governors are the ones pushing back on the absurd notion that we're ready to reopen. His target today in particular was another Cuomo. And the governor of New York fired back. Here's what he said. First of all, if he's sitting home watching TV, maybe he should get up and go to work, right? So I don't know, what am I supposed to do, send a bouquet of flowers? I said, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. He said 11 times, I don't want to get involved in testing. It's too complicated, it's too hard. I know it's too complicated and it's too hard. That's why we need you to help. Let's bring in Sanjay Gupta. Sanjay, uh, let me uh, provide prophylaxis for you from a political discussion. You're better than that. 
uh, let's agree. I don't want to see my brother in this kind of situation. It's not helpful uh, to the state of New York, although I do believe he's got to fight the good fight because otherwise he, he and the other governors are going to get steamrolled by this president. Uh, I don't want to see the president in this situation because he should be finding solutions. I don't want to see the media fomenting this fight, fight, fight instead of pushing for solutions to what we now all recognize is the must before we can reopen. Testing, Sanjay, what is the reality from your reporting and understanding of where we are in terms of the ability to open up anything in any region, in any real way, and monitor people in real time, test, treat, Chris, first, you know, I got to say that uh, it does get frustrating sometimes as a reporter because you do see some of the solutions. You see the problems sort of identify themselves. You see solutions sort of appear and we can talk about them, but it gets a little frustrating sometimes when they're not getting executed because, you know, as, as you and I have pointed out, uh, I mean, there's, there's really there's there's lives on the line here. You know, people are getting sick uh, and we're going to talk mm-hmm. about you in a second here. I want to hear how you're doing. But but here, here's what I think is important for people to realize with testing, because I think we keep we use it as this term, just testing one sort of big term. And in fact, it's many little things, as I think your brother was alluding to uh, the idea that someone wants to get a test, needs to get a test and then can get a test, get a result. All the steps in between are really important, and I think maybe this will sort of elucidate what's going on here. I think capacity for testing has improved. That means public labs, commercial labs, university labs, all these things have improved. They can analyze the samples once the samples come in in an appropriate way. But to get the sample, to have enough swabs, to have the medium in which the swab needs to be uh, maintained and stored and transported, to have the reagents that then pull the virus, if there is any virus, off the swab, all of that are, are, are certain products that are part of the supply chain. And the issue that I'm sure you've heard, Chris, many people have heard, is that we don't have enough of some of those supplies. So you could have everything except the swab. You could have everything except the medium to transport the swab or the reagent to pull the virus off the swab. If you don't have any one of those things, the testing doesn't work. And so A to B falls apart. This is the gap right. that I think uh, Dr. Fauci was talking about today. The problem is in order to, to get that supply chain working, that's what I'm hearing when I talk to my uh, colleagues at the public health level in these various states. We actually have the capacity, they say. Uh, we, ha- we know we've identified who needs to be tested. The problem is we don't have X. We don't know how to get X because X, everybody on the planet wants X. And right now the federal government has to negotiate to get X from China or some other country. Mm-hmm. So that's the sort of balance, I think, between the federal uh, sort of issue and, and the state issue. And, and it's an ongoing one. It's a bit frustrating because this is a problem that clearly needs to be solved, uh, Chris. But I, I did, did want to ask, missing though, something. Everybody is missing something uh, at every level when you talk to them. And the frustration is, and again, it's not to play politics, okay? Uh, And, you know, that's a little bit of a deceptive phrase. People say they don't want to play politics. Well, guess what? It is politics. I'm saying we don't have to play gotcha politics. Um, And even some of these young lions like Dan Crenshaw, who I think is going to be a leader in this country for a long time to come, uh, Republican, um, you know, serve bravely as a special operator. He's spending so much time, I want him to come on the show, defending the president, making bad moves early on. Let's not waste our time with that. Dan Crenshaw wouldn't have said the things this president said early on, and he knows it. He'll defend it, but he won't say he would have said it. And now instead of fighting to have them throw everything at this the way they did at the wall, they found money all over the place. They found pockets everywhere. They found authority everywhere. 
to get it done. Why is it he having these great American companies make the swabs, make the reagent? Everybody says uh, that it's not chemically complicated, um, but it's just about supply chain. Why not throw everything at it, Sanjay? That's my frustration. Yeah, no, and, and you know, this is one thing that uh, we're all in together, and that's not just a euphemism. I mean, we really all need the same thing here because ultimately, in order to get the country up and running, which I think everybody wants, it's, it's, it's really all about testing. And, and uh, mm -hmm. it was about testing, it is now, and it will continue to be. And it's a solvable problem. This is a fixable problem. This isn't something that you know we have to look at and say it is complicated, but it's fixable. And and I think the, the solutions have been really identified here. You got to fix, it, fix first. it first. Absolutely. You can't reopen things because you can't do it backwards. And I'm proof positive of why you need to get testing straight. So here's my situation. Um, to be fair, Sanjay yeah. knows it. Again, I call him all the time, all day long. He is an angel. This guy. He's so busy, and yet he always makes himself available. So by CDC guidelines, okay. This should have been a big headline. I should have like you know, promoted on Instagram. I have 72 <laughs> hours of fever free by CDC guidelines. I have no more respiratory All symptoms right. by CDC guidelines. I am over seven days from the beginning of my symptoms. I'm like 15, 18 days from the beginning of my symptoms, but I am not well. So by CDC guidelines, if I were to hang out for another week, I could go back to work. You do not want me standing next to you, sweating on you and coughing on you right now. I can get tested. I'm a special person. I'm a big media you know, person. I got my brother's the governor. I can get tested. Most people in my situation, Sanjay, can't. And they're going to clear the seven right. days and they can go back to work and they may well be contagious. This is confusing for people. And we, and we made a full screen, Chris. Maybe we can put it up so people, you just went through it. But let's just let people at home look at these, uh, these uh, criteria as we talk about for people to actually not have to isolate even within their own home. This is, this is the point. So Chris has been isolating within his home. Everyone should be staying at home. But on top of that, Chris has been isolating within the home. So if you want to stop isolating in the home, maybe we don't have the list, but it, basically, as you said, 72 hours without any, mm -hmm. there it is, 72 hours without using anything to reduce the fever. Improvement, and I would say near absence of respiratory symptoms, which you have done, you've improved a lot on that. And, and then this is for people who can get the testing, two negative tests in a row, at least 24 hours apart. If you can't get the testing, then you basically have to have been at least seven days since the beginning of your symptoms. Right. Chris, you, you meet criteria, but the thing that struck me today about the conversation that we had, and I think, again, very instructive for people at home, they may say, hey, look, I'm that guy. I'm, I'm, I meet these criteria, but I still feel cruddy. Not necessarily respiratory symptoms, I just don't feel myself. Because I know you're doing, I mean, you can do the exercise, you do more exercise now than I can do typically, and yet you still don't quite feel yourself. Is that right? Well, so here's what's weird about me. Uh, just in this context, there's a lot that's weird about me. But the the respiratory usually goes last. People will be coughing. They'll be short of breath. Um, for weeks after their fever is cleared, I'm reverse. Um, so why am I still in the basement? Because uh, Christina's sick. She's upstairs. She's doing amazingly well by comparison. Uh, she Women do better. Maybe it's her blood type. Maybe it's her immune system. Maybe it's the fact that she's just tough and she's a mom and I'm soft. But she is doing better. She already feels better today than she did yesterday. Amazing. Thanks uh, to God for that. And the kids are still at least asymptomatic. You know, no, nobody's sick. 
I'm still down here because I am not at my normal body temperature. Mm. Uh, I run about 97.6. I am high 98s, even tickle into the low 99s. But on average, I wind up below that. So for the CDC, I'm fine. But I'm not. So now they introduced a new thing to me, Sanjay, which I want to talk people through. Um, The reason I said the other day, I wouldn't be surprised if we find out that this virus has been around here since before February, before January, maybe last fall. I know I'm not going to not say it because some media gotcha machine comes after me. Okay, Uh, it's not baseless. I have dozens and dozens of anecdotal evidence from people who say they think they had this. Sanjay hears it all the time, too. So does Fauci. So do the people on the task force. So does everybody in every state level. They haven't been able to test. And we're never going to really know until we start doing the antibodies. And all these people are going to wind up having antibodies. You'll see for this. And they won't know why. And that'll be a beautiful thing. And they'll start having new theories about how a higher percentage than they thought before had been exposed to this virus. And it'll change curves and it'll change expectations. But I'm telling you, we don't know where we are with this virus. And if we can't test people, we're going to make mistakes. And I'm a perfect example of it. I could go back to work. I'm not going to do it, Sanjay, because I know that there's something funky about this temperature not being right. And the new thing is it's recovery, Sanjay. Let's just give one. It's worth the time. One beat on this. So I'm okay, But because of how strong the virus was and how beat up I am by the virus, I may now have Hmm. symptoms and diminished capacity and even flash fever for weeks Explain that to people, how the recovery phase can kind of mimic the sick phase. It, it is very uh, interesting, uh, Chris. We, you know, they even looked at some of the early data out of China, and I say this not to alarm you. You know, I, I, I'm uh, very hopeful and optimistic you're going to have a complete recovery. But there have been people who, who, in these early studies out of China, even a few months afterwards, after they recovered, they were in the recovered category. If you looked at them in the papers, documented as recovered, and yet they were still having diminished lung function uh, even a few months, two to three months afterward, sometimes up to 20 to 30 percent decreased lung function. We don't know. You know, we're still learning a lot about this virus. Why would that be? Is it some sort of uh, um, persistent inflammation? Uh, you know, these were people who had cleared the virus out of their body. They had negative tests. So what was going on there? Well, we're still learning about that. But Chris, to your point earlier, there was a study that just came out. It looked at um, in, in California, Northern California. Uh, they looked at a particular community where the confirmed cases were a thousand people. But as part of the study, they started to try and do surveillance using antibody testing to try and figure out how many people had likely been exposed to this uh, up until April 1st. I don't know if you want to take a guess, Chris, but I'll just tell you, they guess it was up to 80,000 people. So 1,000 confirmed, Mm -hmm. but when they go look at the antibody testing, they speculate now that 80,000 people were likely exposed to this virus. Just like you said, I don't know if it was as far back as October, you know, because we we just don't, uh, you know, if you would have had cases in this country that far back, you probably would have had corresponding hospitalizations, corresponding deaths. Nevertheless, it's been here for a while. And there's probably been a lot of people who've been exposed 80 80 times, Chris, in that one community. We're going to have to see what that means for the rest of the country. Right. People can look it up. The New England Journal of Medicine tested this bunch of pregnant women and they had a much higher hit rate than they expected. And it allowed them to start extrapolating that you may have three in 10 of people in the population who may have been exposed. How they get exposed? Yes, you probably would have corresponding hospitalization rates, maybe even worse, if you were looking for it. And if people were getting that sick, that they had to go to the hospital. There are a lot of ifs. And again, 
I know I'm not saying it is a fact. The media gotcha machine can come after me. I don't care because we have to be open to learning things about this virus and ex exposure and its environment in this country that we don't yet know because we've been wrong every step of the way. Dr. Sanjay, because we didn't test the enough. Best. Yeah. That's right. And we're not testing enough we'll now and we're not prepared to test. And that will never change until testing changes. We'll never be where we need to be. We have to get better. Cure, vaccine, yes, yes. You'll always have to test. All right, let's take a break. This country doesn't reopen uh, without testing, period. But while we wait, the Small Business Rescue Fund just ran dry. Why? Let's talk to an expert about how that happened and what needs to happen next. Small business is the real engine of our economy. No more money for the small businesses fighting to keep the doors open. The president knows this and says, that's a win. Nobody knew it was going to be this successful. Don't forget, when you say the money's gone, it's been a tremendous success as a program. All right, so it's not that it's dried up. It's been given out, and that means a lot of businesses should be better off. Let's bring in Obama, uh, former Obama economic advisor, Austin Goolsby. Professor, uh, is it a good thing that the money has all been dispensed, or is there another reckoning? You know, this is emergency rescue money. So that they blew through all the money in a week is a sign that there are a lot of people that were in desperate need of rescue. I think the deeper problem, so uh, I, I'm all for getting the money out the door. I think there, every, everyone knows, if you know anybody in small business, you've heard the stories that there were many, many problems with getting this money out the door to the people who need it. And so it, they set it up to be first come, first serve. They steered the money through the banks and the banks apparently just chose the customers that they already liked the best, who already had lines of credit and arguably needed it the least. And that's who they gave all the money to. So if you look out your door, you were thinking in your mind, $350 billion the federal government was going to give in forgivable loans to save people's jobs and to save small business. If you had in your mind mm -hmm. that was going to be your local restaurant or the beauty salon or, or the dry cleaner, it's really, I think, virtually none of those. I mean, it, it's, it's much more going to the big companies that already had access to credit before this started. So... Where do we get? So this is about more money then. So just to keep it light and tight, is the answer that Congress has to come back and give more? And do we also have to think about how it's distributed, not through the banks? Yes, uh, to both of those, though, the thing is, I think there's a serious question. Should Congress, is it, the Republicans seem to be saying, let's just take the same system we had and let's add more money to it. But I kind of think given what just happened in the last week, we might want to rethink whether you just want to pile more money into that same system. Mm. It's so interesting. After 2008, we're once again letting the big banks decide how the money works. It's just amazing. But it seems to me like I don't know that there's another way. I don't know that the little guy can get ahead. I really don't. Um, because, you know, that's always Trump's clarion call. I'm for the little guy. And yet here we are once again. Austin Goolsby, thank you for helping it, uh, us make sense of it. Always love relying you. on you. Have a good weekend. All right. 
Uh, another neglected part of this story, okay? And you'll start hearing more about it. Tomorrow, there's an amazing special called The Color of COVID with Van Jones, who we'll have coming up later in the show. And of course, Dee Lemon uh, about how minority communities are getting crushed and they're going to get hit worse if we reopen the wrong way. You know who else is getting crushed? Military. I want you to meet a veteran who fought like hell to win his battle with coronavirus. Uh, I want to you to join me in saluting a retired Marine and now a coronavirus vet. Next. Veterans, we always say we care about them so much and we support the troops, right? But we always fall short. You ever think about that? It's happening again right now. Guess how many of our veterans are over 55? Half. Half. You know how many that is? 13 million. A lot of them are in densely packed homes, very vulnerable, underlying conditions, don't have what they need, don't have the PPE in place. But they're good stories as well, and we got to celebrate them. David Williams, veteran. He's got pre-existing conditions. He's not 55. He's 54. It's not age him. Um, so he's not in that um, population I just told you about, but he was vulnerable. Started feeling symptoms a month ago, chills, aches. He ended up spending eight days on a ventilator. But our warriors are tough. 17 days, released from the hospital, cheers from the medical staff, cheers from family, and let's be honest, cheers from us as well. This courageous American joins us now. David Williams, thank you for your service, and thank God you survived. Well, thank you, Chris. I'm, How I'm, you feeling, uh, brother? Blessed to be here. Uh, recovery is a little, little rough. Uh, I thought I was going to be able to jump right into it, but uh, it's going to be a, a pretty long process. You learned that, and so have I just today. Guys like us thought once it's over, it's like anything else. Bounce back up. Maybe one day you're a little sideways. Then you get back to normal life. Not with COVID. What are they telling you that the recovery looks like? Well, it's um, it's kind of like a hit and miss. Um, it's uh, for me, it's more or less get my lungs back in the in the working condition uh, because when I went on the ventilator, I had a lot of a bit uh, of my lungs was taken over, and so it's going to be a, a process to be able to get that uh, uh, to get my lung capacity back. Uh, not only that. I lost a, a lot of muscle mass, you know, being out for eight days. And so uh, I had to use a walker, uh, you know, here currently at home. Uh, also, my my wife is a nurse and, uh, and my two and my kids, they're also kind of like in the medical field as well. And so they're my therapist while here at home uh, recovering since uh, physical therapy can't come to our house uh, from home. Great. Right. For home health. Uh, do you have a spirometer, the thing that you blow into and try and make the plunger go up? Uh, you suck in to show how much lung capacity you have? Yeah. Yeah, that's that's you my new toy. Uh, are you got you one? I was going to say, if you uh, don't, I'll in. send you mine. Um, but if you have that, that's cool. <laughs> that's, all, that's all you're going to need. Uh, let me ask you something, Dave. Now, you had, you were up against the worst of it. You know, I'm one of the lucky ones. Um, were you worried when you were on that ventilator? Um, that you might not get off. I'm sure that you had heard stories about how people, when they get on that ventilator, it gets a little dicey. Were you aware of that, or did you think that, I'll get off, I'll get off? 
Uh, I just vaguely remember when be right before I went onto the ventilator. Uh, you know, the uh, doctors telling me the the ins and outs about you know being on the ventilator. Uh, and you know, he told me there might be a chance and it might not be. And so all I could do it is uh, you know, put it in the good Lord's hands. But uh, um, our um, VA respiratory therapist group and a lot of nurses and stuff. Uh, they did an extremely good job because they did say that I had a very low chance of survival uh, on this, but they put all their years of experience together and were able to pick the right time for me to come off because if they would have did it too early or too late, never know what it might have, might have happened. And uh, I know part of what matters to you is for people to create awareness uh, that there are a lot of veterans out there that are vulnerable, uh, that need care and need help. A lot of them are in homes. You know, they're not in uh, the situation you are, thank God, where you're home and with your family. You want people to remember them, yes? Yes. Yes, uh, because it's, you know, like uh, you can go to a, uh, to battle, go to war, you know, you're, you know, uh, dug in and you're fighting and fighting and able to come home for that. And then you get here and, you know, you got a little virus bug that takes you out. And so, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of uh, a little difficult to, to understand that uh, you can, you can uh, be able to take it out just by anything. But you're, you fight for a country. Now you got to come home and you got to fight for your life. Uh, well, but, uh, let me tell you, you sound good. Uh, you sound good, David. You, you sound a little bit tight, you know, in the lungs and, you know, you're getting your breath back. I don't want you to, you know, I don't want to overtax you here, but you are one hell of a warrior to get off the ventilator. Um, that's a fight. Uh, and especially, you know, in the stakes, but obviously you served the country. Uh, you've been through worse and you've been through this. And I just wanted people to recognize your success. I uh, thank you for your service. Bless your wife. Bless your kids. Uh, hopefully they don't go through it anymore. Although going it through, going through it with you is more than enough. And if it's okay with you, uh, I'd love to stay in touch and just make sure that the recovery is coming along. Yes, sir. And uh, you know, uh, uh, we'll throw some prayers up for you and your your family uh, to have a speedy recovery. Uh, you know, so I know how you feel. Uh, that uh, you know, this is this is not a not an easy trip for this, especially when it comes into a lot of guessing game on how they're going to be able to you know the hospitals are going to be able to take care of you, uh, depending on because there's so many different scenarios. Because everybody has different symptoms, uh, yeah. you know, everybody has other a medical issue that could uh, impact uh, this virus. But uh, like I said, you know, the VA did a tremendous job. And, uh, you know, as far as here at home, my wife, uh, my wife's a nurse already uh, also. And she was stressing big time because she also had to go into uh, uh, 14 days of uh, uh, Quarantine. isolation here at the house. And so she couldn't come see me. And so the uh, doctors and nurses all contacted her to make sure they give her an update on what's going on with me. I mean, that has got to be so hard uh, for a wife and a nurse to not be able to be there by your side and do what she wants to do. This is so hard on the whole family, Dave. I don't have to tell you that, but I want other people to understand that, that the whole family goes through it. 
and you saw the worst of it and you came out the other side. And I have to tell you, I hope people appreciate it because I sure as heck do. I had a mild case by comparison and it was all that I could handle. Uh, so God bless you. Just so people know, you know, Dave's taking a little oxygen right now. It, it's assistive. Uh, getting pure oxygen in there helps with the expansion of quality air in the lungs. Uh, and he'll wean himself right. off that in time. David, God bless. Be well. I'd love to stay in touch. Uh, thank your wife uh, for what she's doing. And I'll check on you soon. All right. Thank you, Chris. Thank you, brother. Be well. Be well. Imagine. Imagine that being on a ventilator and they say to you, hey, maybe you survive, maybe you don't. How many people are dealing with that around this country? And again, it brings us back to the central question. How can we risk it? You got to test. You got to be ready. And we got to remember to love the people who are safe in us. Let's do that next. Hey, thank you. I'm just looking at all these messages to want to help Dave Williams. I'll ask if he needs things, I'll tell you. But if you want to help veterans, uh, there are a lot of groups out there. I'll get some information. We'll put it out on social media. All right. Let's cheer the lifesavers. Okay. look at this loud and proud in NYC tonight. Good. Real people reminding that they know what's being done for them. We need our leaders to hear that racket all the way down in Washington. Take care that we do the right things to not stress them anymore. Take care to get testing in place so we don't strain them anymore. That's how you show you care. All right, all the best for those in the front lines. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Let's take a break and then we'll get after more prime time. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. I'm Dr. Sanjay Gupta, host of the Chasing Life podcast. In honor of our 10th season, we want to hear from you. Leave us a message at 470-396-0832 and tell us how you chase life. It could be used on an upcoming episode.